0: Well, hello and welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us this midweek time. A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is dedicated and guided by uh, your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right. Uh, We're monitoring the questions as they come on in on our various platforms and delving into the Word to find the answers. So if you have a question on a passage of Scripture or a verse, maybe Christian living or maybe even world events from a Christian perspective, anything along those lines. As long as you know, we're going to delve into the Bible to find those answers. That's what we are here to do today, and we're very glad that you're joining us and providing us with those questions. Uh, My name is Dave Robson. I'll be hosting today and fielding the questions as they come on in with us, as is often the case. Sean Richards, how are you doing today, sir?
1: Good. Uh, Once again, making sure I have my T's crossed and my I's dotted as far as animal facts are concerned. I (laughs) met a a microbiologist today. Did you really? He
0: was a lot bigger than I thought. (sighs) Because of the the micro thing. Yeah, I get Ah. it. I get it. Yeah, get (laughs) it. Thank you for sharing that.
2: (laughs) Also with us, bastards. I thought I was supposed to tell the dad jokes around here. (laughs) I know. I feel like I've been replaced. You can't beat it
0: (laughs) Scott Richards, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dave.
2: It's yep. great to be here, and uh, just looking forward to seeing how the Lord's going to lead the conversation. Absolutely. Lots
0: of lots of exciting things to talk about. Yeah. We never know really where it's going to go. Your questions guided along. So once again, we're glad you're joining us. Uh, there are several ways you can do so. If you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio, or an affiliate, you are listening to our previous show uh, pre-recorded. Uh, so send us your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com that's questions for hope or spelled out at gmail.com and we'll endeavor to get to those questions uh, at the beginning of our next show and consider when you're not on your drive time joining us on one of the other platforms where we are live as can be uh, a reason for hope is a outreach ministry of calvary christian fellowship of tucson so you can find us at our website calvarychristianfellowship.com follow the mute your phones please we'll the- <laughs> <laughs> done <laughs> <laughs> um, where was i oh yes follow the watch live tab at our website there and you can um you can follow along with us watch us there also on facebook calvary christian fellowship of tucson we're there as well on youtube we're at a reason for hope that is the name of the channel on youtube a reason for hope we also have an app that you can download on your mobile device and also on roku and apple tv should you want to join us on the big screen why wouldn't you want to blow us up on the big screen there in high def oof Man, you get to see every every detail. You know, it sounds a little bit scary to me. But um, so, if you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship in your app store, you'll find us there as well. You can follow Pastor Scott on uh, Twitter at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. What's going on in the Twitter world lately? Any uh, exciting things today? Well, uh, quite a few uh, <laughs> uh,
2: things uh, we can get to as far as uh, prophetically significant. Significant things. Oh, yeah, really? Uh, but uh, just on uh, Twitter, sometimes uh, we're earnestly contending for the faith. Uh, yeah. Got into an interesting uh, back and forth with uh, a uh, person who believed that uh, that uh, renderings of Jesus, like in uh, the Chosen, mm-hmm. uh, where it shows him say running the content of the Sermon on the Mount by the disciples, sort of like an editorial board. Mm-hmm. Um, controversial stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know it's fine because he said well you know when jesus became a man you know he diminished himself to become a man mm. and i went whoa 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 diminished that's a loaded word mm. uh it means to make something less than what it was mm. and uh then he says well just i i mean it, it, he lessened himself and i said no that's even worse mm. Uh, because, you know, again, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You cannot diminish or lessen God. Now, you know, I I understand that you can get into some inside baseball things about this. There's this doctrine called the hypostatic union where Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And we see the humanity of Jesus, perfect humanity, and in the sense that he, did have to be born, he did have to grow in favor and stature with God and man, Mm. he did uh, have to sleep, he did have to eat, but that perfect humanity was never tainted or affected in any way by sin. First of all, and it never in any way affected the fact that all that time he was also one hundred percent God. Yeah, Philippians two nature. five
1: through eleven. Yeah. Spell that out. It wasn't a humbling, as a lowering of himself. To humble yourself is to be honest, a revelation of yourself that's authentic. Yeah. But it was shown in human form, not lessened to human form.
2: Yeah, and and so you know, just the interesting thing was, you know, this fellow ended up because I wasn't going to... Uh, he repented of Socinianism? No, he uh, I, I didn't, uh, it wasn't going to, uh, you know, See, he saw that I wasn't going to leave that bone alone. Mm-hmm. I kept asking him and just saying, you know, your words matter and, you know, these definitions matter. And I'm not sure you really understand what you're saying when you say this. Finally, he was like, well, if you're going to nitpick about these things, but, I, you know, you really need to understand, uh, it's not uh, asking how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, to be precise about the nature of who Jesus is. And uh, you get that wrong. Understand something. A diminished Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Mm. And uh, if a diminished Jesus is the Jesus that you believe you've got your faith in, you're barking up the wrong tree spiritually. Mm. Now, that's not to say that uh, there are You know, we have to have 100% theological purity in order to be saved. But there are issues, particularly Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, uh, that are uh, deal breakers. In fact, uh, Jesus put it this way, unless you believe that I am that I am, literally in the Greek, um, you're going to be lost. Um, You're not going to have eternal life. So the nature of who Jesus is is definitely one of those ones that uh, that's a hill I'll die on. So that was yeah. one of the interactions wow. that uh, we got into yeah. on, well, on Twitter today. And, and just a, just a word about um, you know these presentations like the Chosen. Uh, I mean, I get the fact that it's it's dramatic. I get the fact that uh, the writers involved with it uh, do have to use artistic license uh, to to make a point. Uh, they're trying to make Jesus relatable. They'll add content to these uh, presentations that is not in the Bible. Um, I always get nervous about that mm. uh, because, uh, you know, as soon as you are dealing with these sort of things, it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, the, uh, the controversy uh, that uh, went down about uh, so-called uh, comedians who offered their political opinions. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it was kind of the clown nose on, clown nose off sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they would say something that they were very serious about, and then if they were called out on it, they'd say, oh, no, no, I'm just a comedian. You can't really uh, criticize that. And I do think that some of these uh, dramatic presentations of who Jesus is, and I would put The Last Temptation of Christ uh, by Martin Scorsese in that same role, all kinds of content in The Chosen and in The Last Temptation of Christ that is not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's speculation uh, it's, uh, it's inference, it's creative license, if you will. It's blasphemous. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the problems you get into, even if you'd say, well, you know, it's, it's kind of harmless content to speculate whether, uh, you know, Matthew, uh, was on the, um, spectrum, whether he was a bit autistic or not. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there, there's nothing in the Bible that says that he was or he wasn't. But, You know, to go down a plot line that would imply that sort of thing or to imply that sometime after meeting Jesus, uh, Mary Magdalene backslid, Mm. um, there's no biblical record for that. Could it have happened? Uh, It's just not mentioned. But to go down that path to make a dramatic point or to provide entertainment, I think, is very, very dangerous Mm. because uh, we're not dealing... Uh, with uh, you know a, uh, an individual like Alexander the Great or you know, even a, uh, an individual like Martin Luther or, or someone like that, you're doing a dramatic rendering of their life. We are dealing with uh, Jesus yeah. and the story of Jesus and uh, the revelation that we have regarding Jesus. And when we start to get to the point where we're saying, well, the gospel accounts that we have are just not enough to make Jesus come alive, got a problem with that. Mm. Uh, in that uh, the Bible says of itself that it is living and active, uh, that we serve the living Christ. We don't need to make Jesus and the Bible come alive. He already is alive. The Bible already is alive. And so if you can watch these things and take them as entertainment, you know, it's not my cup of tea. I've watched a few episodes, and, you know, I just found myself kind of wincing so much mm. at some of the editorial decisions. I just decided, you know, I'm going to leave it alone. I've got enough things that irritate me in life, and maybe I am I am being nitpicky about that sort of thing. Mm. You know, some people have told me that it's been a real encouragement uh, in their walk with God. Okay. Um, it's not for me, I know. Mm. But if you are out there and you're one of those people who think it is for you, uh, ask yourself this question, does it cause you to have a deeper and fuller appreciation, drive, and desire to meet Jesus in his word, Mm. or are you content just to meet Jesus as he's portrayed by actors for dramatic purposes, for Mm. commercial purposes, in a presentation that we see in the media that's that's a really important question to ask um, and note there are good renderings of jesus entertainment uh,
1: jefferson moore's portrayal of him in the stranger series achilles uh, film works was phenomenal but it was literally point for point word for word statements made from jesus but just adjusting the language to a modern audience or a modern uh, immediate context and of course, we don't want to get too far into this topic without starting the broadcast in prayer. Yeah, but that's the whole point that we want to make in all of this. Yeah, yeah, and
2: and so uh, we get into this stuff on uh, the internet. It's yeah. a great place to earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered for the saints. And I think that once for all is really key in terms of the kind of Christian entertainments, the kind of renderings of Christ that we see uh, in media that are, by definition, extra biblical. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to be very, very careful and yeah, very yeah. discerning about these sort of things. Yeah. No matter good. how emotionally appealing we might find right, them. Right, yeah. Very good.
0: Yeah. Well, Sean, would you like to pray before we go any further? Like you said, that'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Dad, thank you. We have the
1: chance to be in your word. We want to ask that we'd also be in your spirit, to communicate your heart, your voice to your people, and see that your name's honored. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, again, please do send your questions in, get them in early. We'd love to be able to get to all your questions. We're glad that you're joining us. We had a, a leftover question from yesterday from uh, Reynold, um, who asked, uh, will revival happen in the States? Will revival happen in the States? You actually mentioned something the other day about um, it's a possibility the United States will actually be taken out of the whole equation of the end times, which is very interesting. That's, but a, once, that's know, a point, a point of speculation. Yeah, but
2: yeah, you know, people say, well, uh, you know, when the rapture happens, when the church age, if you will, comes to an end, will it end with a bang or will it end with a whimper? Uh, there are people who believe that there's going to be a last days revival, and there's going to be all kinds of people who come to know the Lord, and then the uh, rapture will happen, and uh, the tribulation will take place. Uh, we don't really know. Uh, I will say, though, that when I take a look at Scripture and see how it's describing the last days, uh, the trend doesn't seem to be moving up. It does seem to be moving down, and this is what I mean. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1, we are told, But know this, in the last days, perilous times, will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrongs, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, this doesn't seem to sound like uh, the results of uh, a revival taking place. Uh, We're told later on in that same chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, you know, we do see a trend forecasted there in the scripture, not again of things getting better spiritually, but things getting worse. Mm. Uh, We are told in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, for the time... Uh, will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So, you know, we do see uh, that uh, there is that trend in that direction. Now, in the book of Revelation, there's the letters to the seven churches That we find there Uh, there is a theory that i think has some heft behind it that each of these churches were chosen by jesus not just because they were one after another on a major trade route uh, through uh, the area we know today as turkey but because they'd be representative of the general conditions and challenges of the church down through time and there are those who will believe that this even has a prophetic overtone to it and that each of these churches that we see in Revelation chapter 7, one leading after another, is going to sort of represent the spirit of the age uh, of uh, church history, one after another, until the return of Jesus. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 begins with the words, and I heard a loud voice saying, come up here. Uh, and and so we see the church uh, coming to uh, an end as far as a focus in Revelation, doesn't show up again when? Revelation 22, I think, as far as, far as, as being mentioned specifically. Uh, that would uh, be in 19. Well, but, uh, the idea of the church, yeah. uh, the Spirit and the Bride say come, and so forth. Revelation 19, I think, is a good one, but the church is conspicuous by its absence since then. Well, if we look at that and we say there's prophetic significance behind that, um, it's interesting that the last church that we see in the sequence is the church at laodicea it is the lukewarm church it's the church that says i become wealthy have need of nothing and jesus said uh, you don't know you're miserable blind wretched and naked uh you're neither hot nor cold i wish you were either but because you're lukewarm i'll spit you out of my mouth so um you know looking at that uh you know are we going to see a last day's revival before uh the the tribulation not in the sense that things are going to get better totally and globally. Mm. However, we have seen God graciously come to this world in very dark times and turn dark times over into a time uh, of great revival. Last great example, of this I can think of, is the Jesus movement. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Jesus movement came out of the, the hippie movement, if you will, the, the free love movement, uh, the idea of casting off uh, all kinds of uh, societal restraint. Jim Morrison's famous quote, every taboo must be broken, the summer of love, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were people that were just looking at this and going, wow, you know, this is a complete collapse Of Christian values, things could not be any worse. And uh, even on the world scene, you know, again, Russia and the United States were on the edge of going to war with each other. Uh, You know, World War III was uh, was was in the air. The Vietnam War was dividing this country uh, like no other. The assassinations of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. You know, it was a very dark and, and very distressing time. But in the midst of all of this these hippies that were looking for truth, that were looking for love, discovered it wasn't to be found by tripping out on LSD. Mm. They discovered that there was Jesus, who was, in a sense, counter-culture as far as the culture of this world is concerned, who talked about love and talked about truth, Mm. and not only talked about it, but demonstrated it without hypocrisy. And that was the, the driving force, I think, behind a lot of the hippie movement. I mean, sure, there's a lot of hedonism behind it, but one of the things that that uh, fueled it was this idea that, uh, you know, the Father Knows Best, uh, you know, Ward Cleaver and June things that uh, they had grown up with just seemed so false and so hypocritical and, uh, you know, uh, superficial and showy. They wanted real love, and and that's why groups like the Beatles and others You know, really seemed to resonate with their heart and said, all you need is love and so on. But they couldn't find it at Woodstock. All they found were users. All they found were hedonists. All they found at the end of their acid trips was the hangover afterwards. And and they found that the people they were following were just as lost as they were. Mm -hmm. In the midst of all that darkness, the Jesus movement began because Jesus offered the real deal. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And that, I believe, was what ignited the Jesus movement. And that revival impacted an entire nation. We're mm. still seeing the after effects of it. So I guess uh, all that is just to say, uh, could there be another Jesus uh, people-like revival before uh, the time of the rapture? Sure, because we don't know when the time of the rapture is. Mm. You know, the God God doesn't tell us how much time we have left. Should we endeavor to see something like that happen? Yeah, absolutely. We should pray for it. But even more importantly, understand something. You know, God doesn't do mass evangelism. He reaches people one heart at a time, mm-hmm. right? And if we decide, you know what? I can't guarantee uh, that I'm going to be a part of some mass revival, but I'm going to decide... For myself i'm going to follow jesus you know I, I think of how the calvary chapel movement got going uh pastor chuck smith was in a little country church on the edge of town uh 17 people half of them were his family you know and and yet he and his wife had a burden for these hippies that were out there and and uh they asked their daughter if they could meet an actual hippie and and talk to them and And they met one uh, a guy named lonnie and he came to know the lord and and through that, he began to influence others like Greg Laurie. And, 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 and suddenly, this little tiny church just exploded to the point where you've got uh, this uh, pastor who at one point was thinking about packing it in. He thought, mm-hmm. you know, Chuck Smith thought that, uh, you know, obviously God wasn't using him. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the guy ends up on the cover of Life magazine.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, so, you know, can God do something like that? Yeah. But like Zachariah says... Uh, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Yeah, and uh, especially
1: Lamentations chapter 3, where it notes that His mercies are new to us every single morning. You can't control anyone's perception, reaction, or participation in godly living apart from your own. So if we want to be a part of a revival, it should start at home. Be a revival of one every morning. If we play, as you stated, the numbers game, then we're deviating from the heart of God. If, on the other hand, we say, that the only solution for well-being in the United States is that everyone else gets their act together. We've got the exact opposite perspective Scripture states. Today's the say of salvation addressing the Hebrews, addressing the immediate audience of that text, addressing you. So if you have the opportunity to follow Jesus today, then praise the Lord if more than one person gets caught up in the midst. But know that you will only be accountable for your relationship with Jesus and that your ability to default to him will allow you to cope in whatever circumstance you are especially on the day he comes back for us that will be a a day of benefits for sure Mm. yeah yeah
0: Yeah. very good thank you thank you reynolds for that that question yesterday i hope you're able to join us and get the answer to that today um there's a great uh, comment and question here from monica Um, she admins two groups of the chosen uh she takes every episode and brings what the Word says about the episodes. Um, She's asking, is it blasphemous to bring like a fan group to a prayerful group in a biblical discussion? Sounds like a good way to sift through. That would be
1: exactly what we'd encourage. The problem, and this is what you were getting at earlier, Dad, was when people use the chosen they read the Bible and think of the chosen as opposed to they watch the chosen and think of the Bible. We want that. Yeah. If that's what you're doing, Monica, Godspeed. But if on the other hand, people like the Socinian heretic you were talking to earlier uh, use it as a format in which they interpret the Bible and put it in authority over the Bible and especially use creative licenses that aren't the Bible as reason to conclude things that aren't biblical, that's where we challenge it.
2: Yeah, and I'd be really careful about using the term heretic. You know, I just think uh, there are so many people out there uh, that uh, are uh, really uh, ill-informed, use terms and throw things out that they don't really understand. That certainly was uh, the tenor of uh, the attempted discussion I had. with Now, if they start advocating for that, and start saying no, this is right, and and so on. When you point out that biblically it's wrong, then I think uh, I think you've got a, a real problem. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is you've done a similar thing with a lot of different <laughs> formats, uh, as far as uh, taking modern entertainment in showing biblical themes, haven't you?
1: Yeah, if it exists, and that's a big if. But the goal that I always take the time to explain, especially in the longer live streams that I'm doing more recently, is to say my goal is to point out parallels. Parallels are lines that never touch each other, but that are headed the same direction. If a biblical theme or even a biblical scene is being illustrated through entertainment, then I can say, look at the direction the Bible is pointing. If you appreciate this, you're going to love this. My goal is not to say the Bible is fill in the blank. It's this can point you to the Bible, to use that common and shared appreciation for that entertainment, for that story arc that you find meaningful and say, okay, now let's see how it applied in real life. This is what right. God has spoken to man in history. The goal is greater
2: appreciation for Scripture, not a replacement or substitute for it. But you've done that with a number of uh, different presentations, showing the biblical issues and, and parallels in modern media entertainment.
1: Yeah, you name it: My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, Pokemon, Transformers. You can go Star Wars. You go down the list. But my n- goal is not to say that you know Anakin Skywalker is the Messiah, right? That, that's a Christ-like Yeah, the, the, the
2: bumper sticker, Jesus is the force. Yeah, It no. was popular. <laughs> no, 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 The no, force no. is an impersonal thing that's half good and half bad, and neither one gets over the other. Jesus isn't the force. Yeah, that's Zoroastrianism, yeah, not the Bible. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, I mean, th- that's, the, that's the problem, I think, that you get into. And, you know, on Monica, uh, bless your heart. You know, I think, it, you know, I, I could see you because I'm I f- familiar with the, where you're coming from. From your participation on this program i can see you being used by god to almost shepherd people from some of the excesses uh some of the things that aren't so biblical in a format like that while emphasizing perhaps the things that are and if you can bring people back to the idea of you know really getting into scripture really
0: getting into the word then uh, more power to you
2: yeah great ministry yeah. yeah
0: good on you monica and thank you for that for that question and keep them coming and Please do send your questions in on the on the chat function of whatever platform you're on or to our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Get them in early as we still have time to answer your question. I um, had a great question here from Yari. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. Yeah. He asked, why don't we have a Middle Testament? There's uh, the silent years. He asks, is there a significance to those silent years between the Old and the New Testament? Why was God? silent. You know what this reminds me of is that old uh, Stephen Wright joke where he says the New Testament's pretty old.
1: It <laughs> should be called the most recent testament. Yeah. <laughs> but um, obviously the crux of the humor, and Stephen Wright knew this, He was he is a smart guy. But when we're talking about the Old and New Testaments, it's not terms in chronology, it's the term testament is what needs to be understood here. We think of a testimony, someone giving a a report of something in history but what the word testament's meant to communicate isn't what god has spoken necessarily it's a covenant the old covenant is the focus of the old testament the new testament is god's revelation through the new covenant which jesus said is in my shed blood if you have the old covenant's sacrificial system you have the new covenant's messiah based system right. now we ask why was there a 400 year gap between malachi And Matthew, well, there was more than one big gap and pause of information for God. For example, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, take your pick, Yari, that from the time of Moses' physical death to the book of Joshua, maybe he wrote it as events were unfolding, but he had to do that. There would have been an around seven year gap before
2: they could record the history and note the borders that the book of Joshua constitutes. Or, you know, I think you make a great point, because stop and think, from the uh, uh, time the people of Israel entered into Egypt at the behest of Joseph to the time of Moses was 400 years. And the time that Israel spent during— And God didn't really speak during
1: that 400 years. No, and they had all the information they needed from oral tradition and personal revelation. And what was also interesting was when we go from the time of Joshua into the time of the Judges, all the way to the time of Samuel, Samuel compiled the history, granted, but it wasn't recognized as Scripture in the book of Judges for how long? Several hundred years, yeah. 200 years. Yeah. And we continue on from there, So, or 300 years, actually. We go from the times of the prophets and note a pretty consistent pattern of revelation, but from the time of, um, let's say, the death of Solomon to the time of Elijah, who was the head of the school of the prophets at that time, who was writing God's word for that 80-something years in between? Not much. They had to settle for what they had. So we don't say that God has to have this continual stream of information. Why didn't he do that? This is getting into, as we mentioned a lot, Yari, hypotheticals, what else could God have said? probably just referencing what he already had revealed, just like for the last 2,000 years. We've been pretty content with what Jesus revealed then. But the point being made is this. God doesn't stop speaking. He just keeps repeating himself because the truth doesn't change. If he had to come up with a new truth, then we'd need a new reality.
2: God doesn't need to do that. He can't do that. So, Yeah, and one note of caution I'd, I'd address to that is that when there are those times where the Lord essentially has said what he's going to say, and he's going to break that silence when he so chooses, uh, we as human beings have a, an amazing talent for wanting to fill in those gaps. And uh, in that, uh, the so-called 400 silent years uh, between Malachi and the coming of John the Baptist on the scene, uh, there were all kinds of people who were more than willing to jump in with what we would call fan fictions. Yeah. Uh, we call those the apocrypha uh, that you'll find in uh, Roman Catholic Bibles. Mm. And, uh, you know, you look at them and they have all the hallmarks of people trying in their own human effort to write spiritual and Bible-y kind of things. But they contain gross errors of history. They contain uh, radical superstitions like God will heal you if you uh, put fish guts in your your eyes. Uh, All kinds of, uh, you know, strange and bizarre uh, things that just simply aren't biblical, aren't taught anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Well, and the good news is to their credit, they never
1: claimed that was scripture, otherwise they'd be killed with rocks. We also don't wanna make the mistake of thinking that, again, God wasn't speaking. In the book of Luke chapter two, for instance, when Jesus was, he would've been eight days old at the time, correct? Right. He was brought for his dedication and somehow, a man by the name of Simeon had this interaction with the Holy Spirit. Now note, it wasn't revealed scripture, It was a personal interaction, but in light of what God had revealed. And that was what? This is Luke chapter 2 and verse 23. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's that in reference to? The coming of the Messiah. So he was expecting that, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it notes that he had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Again, Christ is Greek for Messiah, the anointed one. And then, uh, interestingly enough, he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, note the same language that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? right? He was following what God was speaking to him. And that was revelation. We note as well, a woman by the name of Anna, and this is in the same chapter, verse 36. There was one Anna, a prophetess. Well, we have the Old Testament or the Middle Testament, I guess, book of Anna. Well, she wasn't giving new revelation. She was, what a prophet does, sharing God's word. Right. Just like we're attempting to do here. We're not adding to God's word. We're not taking away from it. If we ever claim new revelation, God forbid, we would have to fall into the test of a prophet. And that's what the New Testament authors were also held to. But notice the pattern that's being given here, Yari. People are speaking the word of God just like we're speaking it now. We're referencing what God has revealed because the truth doesn't change. Mm. New insights can be given to it, but you, and this is true of many ministries, you wouldn't get any quote unquote new information about God that isn't contained in the first five books of the Bible you would anywhere else in the Bible. It's just details being clarified, right? So note that point.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah. I have a question here which actually leads on very nicely from what you were just saying, and you may have half answered it at least. A uh, question from Gina, why are there extra books in the Catholic Bible, the Maccabees, Wisdom, Judith, etc? Are we, are we missing out? It's I've political, obviously. <laughs>
2: yeah, um, the Apocrypha, you know, if you take a look at a Catholic Bible versus a, uh, a regular Christian Bible, you will mm. notice that uh, there are additional books that are in there. Believe it or not, uh, they're a fairly late edition. Uh, the Apocrypha, uh, although uh, it was uh, something that had been around. For quite a while, and and people were certainly aware of that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it was never looked upon as something that was divinely inspired, and uh, there are uh, obviously uh, the uh, the uh, uh, well uh, the the statements that the people uh, writing these books uh, made that they weren't. Uh, saying, thus saith the Lord, or this is what happened. Uh, You know, again, uh, the Apocrypha is referred to as uh, also the deuterocanonical books. Say that five times fast. The word Apocrypha in itself means hidden. Uh, And uh, in fact, uh, although these were written between the Old and New Testament, uh, the books of the Apocrypha are first and second, Esdras, Tobit, Judith, the Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, The Letter of Jeremiah, The Prayer of Manasseh, First and Second Maccabees, as well as additions to the book of Esther and Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not all of these books are included in the Catholic Bible, but most of them are. Uh, you know, the things, the, the reason that we don't see them as part of the 66 books of the Bible that we accept is, first of all, prior to a uh, get-together called the Council of Trent, Uh, which was a a reaction to the Protestant Reformation. Very recent history. In the uh, the 1400s. The Roman Catholic Church elevated these books to be on a parallel with the scriptures because they were having a hard time answering pointed questions that were being asked during the Reformation. Uh, You have to understand, Mm. when Martin Luther uh, nailed his 95 theses to the uh, door of the church at Wittenberg, he wasn't intending to leave the Roman Catholic Church he was just saying, you know, I believe in the church, but I believe that we've got to be biblically oriented in what we're doing here. Here's some questions. Where in the world do we find any validation for things? Like, uh, for instance, uh, the granting of indulgences. Uh, the practice of granting indulgences meant that if you made a donation to the church, you could pay for, in a sense, uh, the forgiveness of your sins in advance. Mm which was
1: entirely, uh, without mincing words, a Ponzi scheme to help pay for the Cathedral of St. Peter. Yeah. When the church tried to function as a government, they obviously couldn't institute a tax system, which it would have had the right to do if it was a government, but instead they put a churchy sound onto it because it was the only thing unifying Europe at the time. And noting, as my ancestors must uh, bear full responsibility to, when you got Vikings from the north, Muslims from the south, Huns from the East tearing apart the Roman Empire for centuries, there's not a lot of unification going on, thus the feudal system. But during what was called the Dark Ages, where trade and communication were totally cut off because of the advent of Islam, you have the church filling in that gap of government. Now note, not a role it was intended to fulfill, and it was, like any government, power that was abused. But when something is done in the name of Christ, it must be compared to Christ. When people... Elevate scripture that is in direct contradiction to Christ, and that's the point that's being made. The books of the Apocrypha would have failed the test of scripture by the Jewish authors themselves who wrote it, but they elevated it because of what? Well, people were saying, you are fake news, and they said, no, we're not. Here's the news, and they bought it then just as much as we
2: do today. Yeah, and and some of the things that are taught in these books that obviously aren't found anywhere else in scripture uh, include uh, praying for the dead. You know, that you can pray Mm. people into a better place uh, in eternity, Mm. Uh, making prayers to people who passed away, petitioning saints uh, in heaven, Uh, worshiping angels is taught uh, in the apocryphal books. And as we mentioned, the idea of indulgences, uh, giving uh, donations in exchange for forgiveness of sins.
1: And Uh, the most important one is in the books of Enoch. Enoch is referred to as the Messiah, so it's in direct contradiction to Scripture.
2: Yeah, and, and when we see things, for instance, like uh, some of the gross historical errors uh, that are made in, uh, say, uh, the book of Second Maccabees and mm-hmm. so on, uh, they, they get dates wrong. They, get, uh, they say that Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Assyria. He was the king of Babylon. Uh, you know, these things, God doesn't make mistakes in his divinely inspired word, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, when we take a look at the Apocrypha, you know, I mean, if you read it, it's interesting, in that it gives you uh, sort of a feel, a taste for how people were thinking during those times, what issues were important to them during those times, maybe some of the superstitions that were arising in the hearts of people during those times that made it in to uh, these uh, particular books, but it certainly is not divinely inspired. You know, you read it, and it's just like, you know, this is nothing like uh, scripture itself. Mm yeah yeah so good. and you know why do we accept uh, the 66 books of the bible as scriptural first of all uh you know we talk about the canon of scripture that doesn't mean like uh, a piece of artillery you shoot cannonballs out of uh, the word canon literally means a measuring stick and uh, the canon of scripture essentially teaches this first of all anything that god has inspired uh, is going to be free from historical errors mm. it's not going to have uh, any kind of faults or flaws in terms of telling us uh, what's happened here on this earth. Secondly, it is going to harmonize perfectly with all of the other things that we know in the Bible uh, that God has in fact said, particularly the teachings of Jesus and so on. Uh, It is also going to be something that when you read it, there is a spiritual impact that it has upon your life. It facilitates growth in the grace and uh, knowledge uh, of Jesus. Uh, But, uh, you know, again, when we put these kind of standards together, you know, again, as far as the New Testament goes, uh, a a book wasn't considered to be uh, divinely inspired or canonical uh, unless it was written by an apostle or a direct associate of an apostle, someone who had witnessed uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we put these standards together, and uh, we evaluate our New Testament by that. We look at the Old Testament, and we use, uh, for instance, the books of Moses as a similar um, launching pad for testing the rest of that revelation. We look at the miracles that were done to uh, attest the fact that God was, in fact, speaking during those times. It can be Mm -hmm. verified historically. We look at the historical accuracy that's involved there, and the 66 books that we have in our Bible, compared to some of the Pretenders, like even the Book of Mormon or or the Quran, um, there's no comparison whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and if you want a little brush up on church history, you can look at the recognition of the canon throughout the ages. And what we have, as far as writing is concerned, I'll just read off a few of these but we need to understand that dan brown is not a historical source they didn't shake a table and the books that fell off were the ones that were divinely inspired when it comes to the books that we recognize and why even people who were around at the time of the apostles knew the difference between scripture and just writings Uh, for example when it comes to the and this is specifically referring to the new testament the 27 books of the New Testament. Uh, We go as early as Pseudo-Barnabas, who was around when the Apostle John was still alive, by the way, uh, recognized and referred to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John, because it wasn't written yet, Uh, making that point as authentic. He also quotes from Ephesians, 2 Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, and the books of Peter. Uh, Clement of Rome, who was a disciple of the Apostle Peter, specifically references 1 Corinthians as divine scripture. He also quotes from Matthew and John, as well as Ephesians, 1 Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, and the books of Peter. We can go on with Ignatius and Polycarp. Polycarp's a big one because he not only referenced all the New Testament as we know it today, with the exception of 2 Timothy, uh, Titus, Philemon, and, of course, the letters of John that weren't written yet. Um, but Irenaeus is probably the earliest source we have as far as church historians are concerned that would note a good list. He references and explains all of the 27 books of the New Testament as divine scripture with the exception of Philemon, Second Peter, and Third John. Not because he challenged them, he just doesn't reference them as divine scripture. Mm-hmm. The earliest time we have anyone challenging any of the books is over 200 years after the completion of the New Testament, it was by a lovely individual by the name of Origen who challenged whether or not Hebrews, 2 Peter, and Second and 3 John were authentic. But he does affirm the rest of the books. Uh, Cyril of Jerusalem directly recognized, this is in uh, the 300s, uh, recognized all of the books of the Bible except Revelation as divine scripture. And note, not challenging Revelation, he just doesn't mention it. And everyone after Jerome, it's the same 27 books over and over and over again. You could note the writings of Augustine and uh, Muratorian is how you pronounce the Muratorian fragment, the Apostolic fragment. We can talk about the Athanasius, or, yeah, the Athanasius Creed and challenge to Arius and so forth. We could note the translations all being affirmed in Old Syriac, Old Latin, and the Tatian Diatessaron. say so yeah. that five times fast. All affirming the Gospels as authentic and the letters of the Apostles as authentic. We can also note every single council with the exception of Nicaea that didn't address these books but affirmed all 27 books as authentic. The only ones that Nicaea doesn't reference are James, Second uh, Peter, and of course, Second and Third John and Jude. They just weren't mentioned. So... Note: we have history on this matter, and there's a reason why we recognize these things, not just because, oh, they said it, that settles it, but these Jewish individuals knew Jewish scripture and the difference between Jewish scripture and not.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Thank you, Regina, well, I hope that helps you out. Send us your questions in. You're currently uh, number one in, in the queue or in the line, as you say, <laughs> <laughs> um, so get your questions in. Still a, you know, a few minutes left of the show here. We have a question from Adam. Uh, was Judas condemned in eternity for hanging himself and betraying Jesus? Not because of the sin he committed, but
1: because the same way any of us are condemned in eternity, he never had a relationship with Jesus.
2: Mm. Well, a saving relationship with Jesus. He yeah. certainly knew. Yeah, he knew about who it. He right. was. Right. Uh, he even did some wonderful things in the name of Jesus. Uh, Judas, I think, is the poster child of that very troubling statement that Jesus made. In the, the book of Matthew, chapter seven, that uh, on the day of judgment, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, mm-hmm. uh, did we not uh, teach in teach you in the streets? Did we not do in your name do many miracles? Did mm-hmm. we not in your name cast out demons?" And you'll say, "I never knew you." That's the key thing. Mm-hmm. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Yeah. So you know, you kind of whoa, man, that's a pretty impressive spiritual resume. You know, doing many miracles and you know all these things, and it still wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's not what we do for God that saves us. It's what God has done for us. It's putting your faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, his death and his resurrection that makes us saved. In Judah's case, obviously, Jesus hadn't died and resurrected yet, but uh, he could have put his faith and his trust in Jesus. Even mm-hmm. to the last minute, uh, Jesus gave him the opportunity to do so. Even at the betrayal, Jesus said, friend, why have you come? Mm-hmm. I didn't say, you, low, low, you snake I'm, in the grass. Yeah, some, yeah. <laughs> no, he, even then, I think there was that possibility of repenting. Even afterwards, um, look at the parallel accounts of how uh, Judas and Peter be- uh, behaved on that night. Peter betrayed Jesus, too, three times. Uh, but uh, Judas, uh, overwhelmed with sorrow uh, and uh, self-loathing for what he had done, not only, I guess you would say, repented in the sense that he brought the money back to the uh, chief priests who'd given it to him to betray. Uh, And they said, oh, you know, uh, you see to it, uh, you know, what do we have to do with you? He throws the money into the treasury. Then he goes out and hangs himself. Well, That tells me something. Instead of hanging around, Judas hung himself. Instead of waiting for Jesus to give him an opportunity to be restored. He took things into his own hands and ended his life. And I think that's one of the the real uh, overwhelming tragedies of suicide in general, is that this life is where eternity makes up its mind. Mm. You don't get a second chance after death. This is it. Uh, And uh, the decision that you make about receiving or rejecting a genuine relationship with God is going to be what you're left with forever and ever. And so uh, Judas sealed the deal, if you will. It wasn't that he committed suicide. It was that he never turned to God and sought forgiveness uh, from God. He might have done some things on a horizontal level that seem meritorious or uh, seem to really, really be sorry emotionally. Mm. But, you know, there's a really interesting passage uh, about the, the difference between genuine repentance and, uh, and, uh, and worldly sorrow. Uh, you know, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we are told that the sorrow of this world produces only death now why is that the case well because sorrow in this world over sin is usually man i'm sorry there's consequences for what i did mm. or i'm sorry i got caught mm. or maybe even i'm sorry you're such a sore head for bringing this whole thing up that's godly that's ungodly sorrow but godly sorrow produces repentance mm. It's not to be regretted. It's not repentance, but it does produce it. Remember what repentance is. It's a change of mind. Literally, that's what the word means in the original language. Mm. Toward God, that results in a change of heart that results in a change of life. And, and as long as Judas fell into the trap of thinking that somehow he could make up for all the wrong things that he did by taking it out on himself, well, that's never going to lead you to heaven. So, mm. Very good. Thank yeah. you.
0: Adam, thank you for that. Yeah, um, I
2: had a little uh, prophecy update I wanted to get to here. If we oh, can, yeah, uh, please. Uh, before I, I promoted it on uh, Twitter, so I don't want to uh, yep. uh, leave our people hanging. Yep. A couple things really interesting uh, that broke in the news. Uh, very interesting article in Jerusalem Post. Uh, their headline article is Israel thinks that Iran is two years away from being able to detonate a nuke. Uh, and the, the most interesting thing about the article is that uh, top Israeli sources confirmed. To the jerusalem post which had only been hinted at by now uh that uh, iran has now achieved 90 percent weaponization of its uranium that will give you all of the uranium that you need for a bomb that's the bad news the semi good news if there's any good news to be found there is that uh, israeli sources believe that iran still needs two years in order to master nuclear weapons detonation and be able to perfect the technology to be able to, to, to deliver a uh, nuclear bomb. Uh, it's really interesting because Israel's policy had been that uh, the 90% enrichment level of uh, Iranian uranium was the line in the sand, that Israel would intervene militarily uh, if Iran ever got to that place. Uh, But uh, it's very interesting that uh, the uh, Israeli officials um, believe that Iran has gotten there but are not, say, uh, scrambling aircraft and uh, planning an immediate attack on Iranian nuclear facilities because they believe that they have that two-year buffer zone uh, between them obtaining the uh, material necessary and uh, being able to actually use it in a destructive way. Uh, Some people believe that uh, the reason they believe in this two-year buffer zone is because in 2018, in uh, the stuff of uh, spy thrillers you'd see on Netflix and so on, Israel seized a huge part of Iran's nuclear archives. In other words, they were able to determine exactly where Iran was, what capabilities they had, and what capabilities they still lacked. However, the fact that Israel is releasing uh, through sources to the news that Iran does have weapons grade uranium in its possession mm. is uh, really a game changer as far as uh, diplomacy, as far as negotiations, as far as the United States is concerned. Now that Benjamin Netanyahu is uh, back in office, who uh, the Iranians considered more of a hardliner. Uh, more of an individual that they would be intimidated by, and Iran is dealing with a uh, rebellion uh, in their own inside their own borders that happened as a result of the uh, killing of a woman in captivity for not properly wearing her hijab in public. Uh, this is spread like wildfire, and things are somewhat unstable there. Uh, there are those who believe that if uh, that Israel is going to appeal to the United States not to lighten up sanctions against Iran, but perhaps even to impose further sanctions on Iran because they've gotten to that 90% uh, enrichment level. Uh, Israeli officials, uh, don't miss this, believe that Iran crossing that 90% line is, quote, from the Jerusalem Post article, an existential threat. Hmm. Uh, In other words, the existence of Israel is on the line here. Now, I don't believe Iran... Uh, I don't think prophetically Iran will ever get to a place where it could independently uh, use nukes on its own. Uh, It does appear that Iran, Persia, as it's mentioned in Scripture, is an ally of the invading Russian army uh, and the coalition of nations that's described in Ezekiel 38 in the last days. Now, you mean to tell me that in this day and age, Russia would invade borders beyond their own? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you betcha. So... And, uh, you know, again, uh, interesting stuff indeed. So uh, most Israeli officials are saying that the return to the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action talks that have been promoted by our country, uh, you know, is a non-starter, you know, the cows already left the barn. Uh, Iran already has weapons-grade uranium, the kind they can use to build a Mm -hmm. weapon of mass destruction. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Israel tries to do and how confident they are that they have that two-year buffer zone between Iran getting a hold of that material and being able to use it. Because uh, according to the theology of the mad mullahs that are running Iran, if they have that capability, they would not hesitate to use it. Mm. And uh, once again, the idea of uh, using it, maybe not on Jerusalem, which uh, contains a Muslim holy site, but certainly using it on, say, a, a industrial uh, center like Haifa or even Tel Aviv uh, would certainly not be beyond the pale. It would give, uh, troublingly enough, the Iranians the ability to be able to do in uh, six minutes what took Hitler six years in the Holocaust uh, to achieve as far as casualties in Israel is concerned. Mm-hmm. So definitely pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And speaking thereof, we've been giving you guys some updates about uh, the election. Benjamin Netanyahu uh, looking like uh, the next uh, prime minister of Israel is putting together a coalition government. But one of the most interesting characters uh, in this coalition, who heads up uh, one of the most important pieces of the puzzle, one of the the key parties that allows Benjamin Netanyahu to be able to have this kind of coalition, is an individual, two individuals, actually, Ithamar Ben-Giver and Bezalel Smotrich. Both mm-hmm. of them are pretty hard line as far as uh, what they believe uh, should be true about Israel. In fact, uh, Ithamar Ben-Giver has uh, made uh, strong statements that uh, the status quo agreement that Israel has with Jordan, that allows Jordan to administrate the Temple Mount, needs to either be tossed out or radically altered, to allow Jewish people to freely pray on the Temple Mount. Now, that freaks out uh, Jordan quite a bit, uh, because if that status quo agreement is altered, you need to understand the vast majority of people in Jordan are Palestinians, we would call them. Uh, The people that run the uh, country of Jordan are Hashemites, Uh, They're not Palestinians. Uh, They're a minority, and uh, they tend to dominate government. They tend to dominate finance. They tend to dominate positions in the military. But if there was a major uproar of uh, the vast majority of people in Jordan who are Palestinians, uh, the security of a guy like uh, Jordan's King Abdullah II could be put on the line. So, you know, the interesting thing is this. uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, King Abdullah have uh, had very frosty relations indeed. Uh, All the time that Netanyahu was prime minister, uh, King Abdullah refused to even contact him over the last few years. Well, interestingly, the uh, frost has melted. Uh, King Abdullah called Benjamin Netanyahu and offered him congratulations on becoming a prime minister. Why does he do that? I believe that it's not just an icebreaker. I just think uh, he looks at those who are going to be uh, making up the cabinet and uh, wants to make sure that status quo agreement on the Temple Mount uh, is maintained because if it's not, he's got more problems he knows what to do with. Mm. And Israel wants to make sure that Abdullah stands on the throne because uh, Jordan is a huge uh, geographical buffer between uh, Israel and their great enemies,
0: Iran to the north. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Yep. Thank you for that update. Yep. Yep. Amazing as things unfold. Well, we've reached the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining us again. If you stick around, we're going to be uh, having our regular service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you're in the Tucson area, you're welcome to, to join us in person. But if you stick around on the channel, you're seeing and hearing us. We'll be going live. We're talking about all things end times, and Sean is teaching tonight. So And Daniel 9, exciting yeah, pastor. Yeah, big, big yeah. stuff. So God bless you. We'll see you at the same time same place tomorrow the you've been listening to a reason for
1: hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope@gmail.com. at gmail.com you can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com and be sure to join us next time on a reason for hope A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.